0: The scripture reading today is Matthew 11, verses 16 through 24. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played for the, the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking... And they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then he began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that on the day of judgment... It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you.
1: Every single one of us in this room has the ability to make choices. Every single one of us. We we chose uh, uh, what we were going to do today so far. We we chose to be here. Uh, That's one of the wonderful things about that I think that... uh, that God gives us is choices. We love to blame God for everything, but He gives us choices to do good. He also gives us choices to do bad. Um, you know, we we always hear stories about people saying that that um, if God were so loving, why are people starving? Why why do people go without? Why, why why is there homeless? I think the responsibility on that line lies with us. You see, God gave us choices also gave us the materials in this world that we could actually feed the world. We truly could feed the world. But sadly, there are people that have chosen not to. A lot of the suffering that we see in this world, that we experience in this world, derives from choices that we make, that freedom that God gives us, those choices that we make. Sometimes we make choices that are are wonderful, helpful. And sometimes we make choices that have ripple effects that harm people. And sometimes the choices that we make are a little bit harder to make. Sometimes we're not even really aware of it. This passage that Jesus was talking, it's one of the most stern, it's one of the most accusatory passages that he ever said in the Gospels. I mean, it really is a, you know, the woe to you. Uh, and he's actually blasting, you know, communities. He's comparing communities to Sodom. We'll get to that in just a second here. But what he's talking about truly, he's reiterating the choices that we make in this world. Choices 2,000 years ago and the same choices we make today. When I was a kid, uh, my mom told me that uh, I was born uh, as a feeler, I was uh, high empathy rates. I loved, uh, uh, if I felt something, you would know it. Um, I didn't match the typical boy, I guess. I, I played with uh, stuffed animals more than I played with like, the, uh, the G.I. Joes or anything like that. Uh, I wasn't really into sports. I used to play with like puppets, and I used to love to use my imagination. I loved to draw, and I loved to do all kinds of things like that. But as I got older, I started to realize that the 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 who I was, the choice that I was making of who I was, uh, who I was born to be, wasn't matching some of the other things that I was seeing in the world. You you watch commercials and stuff, and you see boys playing with uh, you know toy guns and action things and footballs and. All of that kind of stuff, you, you, you never really saw them playing with stuffed monkeys, which is what I did, you know. And I, as I got a little bit older, I started to realize how much my personality clashed with my, my dad's personality. My dad was a very macho person, you know. He was about as tall as I was, but he was built, you know. He was a, uh, uh, he worked most of his life lugging things. He was a meat packer, and one of his jobs was when they brought the beef, they would jump, they would uh, uh, put it on his shoulders, and he would have to carry these big, heavy things. So he was, you know, he looked like a bald-headed gorilla, you know, just a huge guy there. And even when he was growing up, he was uh, in the, this was the 1950s, he was a, a greaser. He had the leather jacket. He got into fights. Um, I remember seeing the leather jacket actually when I was a kid and had all these marks on him. And he said those were from chains and knives. I don't know if that was true, but boy, did that scare me. I didn't even want to wear the jacket. But it was really heavy and he got into trouble a lot. One time he, uh, He just up and hitchhiked to California and then called his parents from there and just said, I'm in California. I'll be there for a while. I mean, he was just always getting into trouble and he was just uh, always that kind of macho guy. And as I got older, I I started to realize that that's not who I was and we clashed quite a bit. I, I wasn't the person that I felt at the time, I wasn't the person that my father wanted me to be. And he kept trying to tell me, you know, to, to do more things. He, like a, he wanted to teach me about cars, and, and he wanted to get me involved in, in sports. And he wanted, you know, he wanted to encourage that, that masculine brr side. And I just, I wasn't that. You know, wisdom plays something when, when you add age. And I'm getting to the age where I should, by this time, have a lot of wisdom. But uh, I continued to learn things. But one of the things I learned is that the person that my father became was a choice. And it was a choice that was hard for him to make. In the 1970s, when I grew up, there was a distinct difference between men did this, women did this. Um, I I feel like we're, we're growing out of that a little bit, and I'm really grateful for that. But at the time uh the, the role that I was playing as, as a male was not matching, you know, what we saw. But in my father's time in the 1940s, late 1940s, early 50s, it was even more pressure. You know, you're, you're a man, you do this. And I started to think that maybe my father didn't have as much of that choice. I mean, he still had that choice, but it was, it's much harder to make when you're around that and so he grew up into this mold of this macho, uh, headstrong, you know, uh, violent person. And in, by the time that he had children, even in best intentions, he wanted us to be that way because he felt that that's what men are supposed to be. You're supposed to raise them that way, and if you don't, you're actually damaging them in some way. It was after my father started to get even. Uh, older and I started to get older that I started to see just how unhappy my dad really was. Miserable. Um, He was not a happy guy. He was a a very insecure guy. By the time that he uh, reached his uh, final years uh, he never even wanted to leave the house. Um, You know there was a couple of times that I look back, little pockets where uh, something would happen, or there would be uh, sadness or, or, or even happiness, where I would see little traces, little, little traces of emotion from my father, this macho guy. Little traces that reminded me of myself. Things that made me think, he's like me. But then as soon as that would, he would show that, he would, he would cover it up again. And he would get, you know, stern and macho again. And I started to wonder, underneath all of this exterior, is my father truly more like me than I thought? And maybe that's why he's so sad. My dad had a lot of sadness, and he... his behaviors pushed people away. Uh, The demons that he struggled with uh, caused him uh, to fall into alcoholism uh, and and bouts of rage. When he drank, he he not only abused alcohol, he he abused us. Uh, And it was just rage. And I started to think, if he's being a person that he is not meant to be, Maybe that's what's causing all of that sadness and all of that anger and all of that uh, wanting to medicate with alcohol so much. By the time my dad died, he was alone uh, and had a few people around him, but had pushed a lot of people away. And I feel like he died very sad. He truly uh, died at a young age, early 60s. Uh, and I truly feel like he, uh, he had given up and drank and ate, and uh, his life choices, it was a slow suicide. And I'm, I remember being at uh, his, his hospital room and remembering a conversation that we had. Uh, we were at my father's funeral, my, or my, my father's father funeral, my grandfather's funeral. And he had given me a ride. We parked in this parking lot, and he drove the rest of the way because he knew how to get there. And we were on the way back, and on the way back, we stopped at this, uh, the parking lot, to, 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 uh, and we were just kind of sitting there talking, which is something we usually didn't do very often because we weren't that close. Uh, I still, you know, struggled with uh, trying to please him. And I remember uh, we were talking about his father, and it reminded me of my father, who is now sitting right beside me. And I found myself apologizing for who I was. I, I said I was sorry that I was so rough to raise. And I was sorry that I wasn't the person that I, he wanted me to be. And I just started, you know, Which is something you didn't do in front of dad, you know. And there I was apologizing for not being the person he wanted me while being the person that I thought he didn't want me to be. And it was at that time that he, he looked at me and he said, Trevor, you're the strongest person I've ever known. And that just floored me. And he said, because when you feel, you show it. When, when you are you, you're you. I've never been able to do that. And that was the biggest pocket that I ever saw of my father, the biggest moment that I saw, yes, yes, Underneath all of that all of those choices was this young child who, because of circumstances in his life, was not able to grow up the way that he wanted to be. And so, for all of his life, he was making these choices to try to identify himself as somebody that he wasn't. And by doing so, he caused himself so much pain and so much sadness that he truly lived in his own hell. And when he saw me being me, he saw glimpses of what he could have been. 2,000 years ago, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to these communities. You see, as we grow up, we, we, uh, you know, we've, we've had this thing of, of, of dominance and power and all of this kind of stuff. We, we love to say you know, that we love Fred Rogers. We love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. We love uh, the, the feelers in our life. But still, every year, the top movies, the, the top pop culture, are the things where the superhero is annihilating the bad guy, where strength and fighting is the dominance and the thing that wins. We call those blockbusters. We call the ones where they sit and talk independent films. <laughs> but we like those blockbusters because deep inside we still have that instinct where it's you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You upset me, I'm going to upset you. That machoism, that, 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 that power, that, that violent act is a choice, but it's one that we find sometimes easier to make. We live in communities where we don't speak to our neighbors. We, we live in communities where we've gotten so defensive that we now think that, I'm not, I can't, I'm not even going to try to get to know you because I have no idea who you are. I don't know what your political ideas are. I don't know who you are. It's better just to treat you as an enemy than to ever experience you as a friend. And so that's what we do. We start to lean toward the, the side that we're on that wants to shun the other side. We want to lean toward that power. We want to follow the people in our, in, in our world that, that have that power, that have that superhero thing, that machoism. We don't want to follow the people that have to tell us to have, sit down and have a coffee with our enemy. We want to, pe- we want to follow people that sh- kick those people out. Those people. And that's what was happening 2,000 years ago. Israel, a once great, great kingdom, had been reduced to slaves. Rome had taken over. It was, they had punished them. They had brutalized them. They had humiliated them. And Israelites wanted that revenge. They were living in a place where they were overrun by the the bullies. They were overrun by the the superhero, the Lex Luthers, the Joker, whatever the Marvel people are. I have no idea about them. And what they wanted were the same thing that we want when we watch those movies. They wanted the bad guy to lose. They wanted that revenge. They wanted a superpower to come and annihilate Rome and annihilate the people that were persecuting them all of these years. And they had heard that that's what the Messiah was all about, the chosen one. That was the name of him before there was ever a movie or a TV show called the chosen one. The Messiah means chosen one. The one that was coming from the lineage of David that had been born a king. Just the fact that he was born a king, that's royalty, that's, that's, that's status. You can't have two kings. There's a king being born, he's going to grow up, and he's going to be that warrior King David, and he is going to knock Rome on their butts, and Israel is going to be this power again. That's what they were expecting 2,000 years ago. And as they saw this king, this baby, Growing up and suddenly now he's walking among us, he's in his thirties. He should be a warrior by then. But now, where do they find him? Sitting on his butt, eating and drinking with losers. That's not the that's not the hero they were expecting. That's not the warrior they were expecting. They are expecting this guy to come in with, you know, this, this flowing cape and this, you know, the, the long hair and the blue eyes and the, it turns out he's, they can't tell him from any other peasant. His clothes are shabby, he's poor, and he is over there with tax collectors having a beer. They didn't like that choice that he was making. And so the towns that he went in where they were expecting this, you know, uh, they were expecting him to campaign at least to talk about how Rome was wrong and how all of these people, and he was expecting to gather the troops. At this time, there were people that were called zealots. There were people that were called, uh, at the time, yes, terrorists. There were people that would have these terroristic moments where they would try to uh, fight Rome. There were militia. There were underground movements of violence. They were hoping that he would organize that and lead that, and instead he comes into town and he reaches out children and he reaches out to the poor and he sits with the poor in spirit and he he heals people that are considered unhealable he welcomes in the people he talks about this kingdom that is for everybody and he meets people where they are and he lifts not one violent finger and those communities Hated him for that. The choice that they had made was a choice of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It was actually a saying, love your enemies, or or, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Love those that love you, hate those that hate you. That was the choice that they were making. Rome hated them, they were going to hate them right back. That was the only choice that they thought they had. Much like we do today, if somebody hurts us, we, instinctually, all we want to do is hurt them back. Punish the people that hurt us. You know, my favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Frank Capra, the person that produced that, it's a movie where George Bailey is, 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 Mr. Potter robs him of his money and Mr. Bailey thinks he's going to uh, go to prison and die. But the community rallies against him and they bring money and his brother toasts him and says to my brother George, the richest man in town. Frank Capper received so much hate mail after that because at the end of the movie, it shows the community rallying together, but it never shows Mr. Potter being punished. And people couldn't stand that. He wrote it to where it wasn't about the, the, the happiness didn't come from the punishment, it came from the community. And people hate that. That's not the way you end a movie. You got to see him going off a cliff or something, you know? At least being punched in the face real hard. The towns that Jesus performed these miracles, these actions of kindness, these actions of love, these actions of you be you, they want to know part of. And that's when he says his most stern, stern thing that he ever says in the gospel. This is hatred stuff. I mean, this this is stuff where he is saying, you are going to be in hell. Well, when I think about my father and the choices he made, I hear that in a realistic tone. I don't think that Jesus was saying, you're actually going to live in eternity with hell. I think what Jesus often tells us is that if you make these choices, your life is going to be a living hell. I know for my father it was. And these towns that were just focused on inward thinking, on violence, on not letting people in, on annihilating the enemy, they were living in their own hell. And Jesus reminds us at that time you have a choice. You all have choices. God, the Lord, the Savior, biggest gift that he ever gave us. It was a gift to choose. But what Christ was saying was that the kingdom of heaven is not on that choice. It's not on the choice of violence. It's not on the choice of, of hating people. It's not on the choice of anger. It's, it's none of this. You've been trying to do this for so many years, and it continues to only feed the hatred I'm offering you a different choice, a choice of loving your enemy, a choice of welcoming the stranger, and yes, a choice of sitting on your butt and eating and drinking a beer with people that are considered outcasts, about welcoming children, about breaking barriers with women who are considered less than. He lifted them up. Anybody that was considered an outcast, he lifted them up. And that's when he compares those places to Sodom. Boy, Sodom, we love to we love to point that out. You know, Sodom. You know what they did over there? And that's what you're going to have. You know, boy, he hates them because he hates that and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing to do with this. This has been the most the most in a misinterpreted part. Jesus is talking about welcoming people. He's talking about nonviolence. He's talking about love and kindness. That's when he makes the comparison to Sodom. He is saying, you're not welcoming me just as Sodom didn't welcome people. Sodom was a violent place, a place that treated everybody as their enemy, a place that did not share kindness, and love. If you are making those same choices, you're no better than they are. It had nothing to do with lifestyle or anything like that. It had to do with welcoming people, loving people, being kind to people. Those are the miracles that he's performing in the town, and those are the miracles that he's saying were rejected from those communities. That's when he compares it to Sodom. For so many years, we have made the choice to go to war, to fight, to hate people, to mistrust, to distrust, to have you prove to me that you're worthy of my friendship rather than just offering it to you, to see somebody as a stranger rather than a neighbor or even a friend. There's debate of how old this this world is, but I can tell you this, as long as it's been here, that's never worked. We continue to see war after war. We continue to see hatred after hatred. We continue to see race conflict, gender conflict. We continue to see people not respecting each other, people hating and harming each other. And the message of Christ is clear. There is another choice. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, help us to choose what matches the kingdom of heaven. Help us to hear that, that, that warning that you gave us 2,000 years ago of this, these choices of, of hatred and unkindness and not loving. They're not the way. Help us to choose to be who we are, to love one another, and to love others for who they are, to celebrate community, to celebrate peace, to celebrate the kingdom. Amen.